We're going to continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of Scripture. And uh, this morning, Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20 will be the passage that we'll study. So Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, they saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray together. Father, I'm asking for increased joy in following Jesus here in our church family. May you use this passage to to really remind us what following Jesus is truly, truly is. Because we're lied to and we lie to ourselves about what following Jesus really is. Give us grace to understand that, that, that we're not really inviting you into our lives so that you'd follow us, but the kingdom of God has come, and now you have enlisted us to follow you. We get it backwards very often. Give us grace to understand it rightly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated, and the title of the morning sermon is Following Jesus on Jesus' Terms. Um, following Jesus is to be done on Jesus's terms. So it's not really up to us to say this is what following Jesus is. It is for us to understand from him what following him means. The Super Bowl is going to be played today and the winner will obtain what's called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. That's named for the coach who led the Green Bay Packers to five overall NFL championships, including the first two Super Bowls. Now, early on in his tenure as coach of the Packers, uh, his team did not perform well. In fact, they were defeated soundly. And so, the, the next practice, he stood up in front of the team and uh, held up a football. And he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And then spent the rest of the practice going over the basics of playing football. At first, some of the players in the room said, uh, why are we going over this? But it became very clear that he was instilling in them a simple fact. The team would never leave the fundamentals behind. No matter what they purposed to do as a team, they couldn't leave the fundamentals of the game of football behind. Without excellence in the fundamentals, he was saying, the team would never be successful. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, they really do help us understand the absolute basics about being a follower of Jesus. So, so no matter if, 
you've been following him for decades, or if you're just beginning to follow him, or if you're just sort of taking inventory, not a follower of his yet, but wanting to know what it means, Mark 1, 14 through 20 explains the basics, the fundamentals of being a follower of Jesus. No matter how much you mature and grow as a follower of Jesus, you'll, you'll never go beyond the, the, the basics. In, in fact, the depth that you'll grow in are, are, are rooted in the, the basics. It can be refreshing, right, to, to kind of get back to the, to the basics. And we're doing a whole sermon series simply entitled The Essentials for the Year or Years uh, Ahead. Example I think we've used just about every week is suppose that you were going to go on the Appalachian Trail and you're going to go for three days. Uh, what would you pack and what would you take to go on the trail? Here's kind of what I want you to think about is a fundamental of the Appalachian Trail is the Appalachian Trail. In other words, I've not yet been. I talk about it a lot. I've never actually been on the Appalachian Trail. I've made many plans to go. Haven't been yet. But I know enough to know that they have markers on the trail. And the trail is built. It goes from Georgia all the way up to Maine. And you can go from the starting point all the way to the end. But there is a trail. So, for example, if you think you're on the Appalachian Trail and look up and see the Atlantic Ocean, guess what? It doesn't matter if you call it the Appalachian Trail, you're not on the Appalachian Trail. So Mark 1 is going to give us our markers. Here's what it looks like to follow Jesus, according to Jesus. Because can we agree on this? The more precious something is, the more likely it's to be counterfeited. Again, nobody's spending a lot of time scheming up a way to counterfeit pennies, right? There's no... There's no purpose in that. The more precious something is, the more likely it is to be counterfeited. And to remind you about last week's sermon, Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more crafty, more subtle than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made, meaning that he'll trick you into thinking you're doing something when you're not doing it. And one of those most frequent counterfeits is to trick you into understanding what following Jesus even is. So let's learn what following Jesus is from the authority of on following Jesus, Jesus himself. So if you've got a sermon outline and want to follow along in those notes, we'll begin with this point. Uh, we often try to follow Jesus on our own terms. We want the blessings that come from following him without abiding by the terms he outlines. Hey friends, there's distortions to the Christian faith all around. And if we're not careful, they can even arise within the church itself. We're all susceptible to the temptation of distorting following Jesus. Hey, life's futile without Christ. Blake shared with me a, uh, an illustration about what futility is. I'm going to be careful about this, and I might make some people nervous, but I want to show you what futility really is. I'm going to invite somebody from the congregation to make a request of me to play a song. What song would you like to hear? Here's the truth. It doesn't matter which one you ask for. It's going to be futile for me to play it. I, I can try. It's not going to be music. Do you know what it's going to be? Noise. Friends, before you've submitted to the Lordship of Christ, your life is noise. It is not music. God has purposed and designed life a certain way, but it has a starting point in life. In fact, the Bible says this. Romans 8, you can look it up. 
The creation itself is subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay. In, in other words, life just doesn't work apart from God. It doesn't. You can try and fill your life up with any number of things, but life is not life apart from the author of life. The time is fulfilled. You see that in John, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So let's follow the order of things because, it's, because it matters. The time is fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying, the one you've been looking for is here. I'm here. All the Old Testament, all the 39 books of the Old Testament, from the, from the first verse to the last, is saying, one's coming, one's coming, one's coming. The promised one is coming. Jesus is saying, that time is fulfilled, and I now am here. So here's good news for us. You don't have to go look for anywhere else. You don't have to go look anywhere else. Your hope in life is in Christ. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe in the gospel. So I just kind of jotted it down this way. There's an announcement. There's a commandment. There's an enlistment. And it is important that we get this order right. Friends, it's not your kingdom. And, and honestly, Jesus doesn't say the representative republic is at hand. He says it's a kingdom because he's a king. So the announcement is, I'm the king and I'm here. And now I'm going to give you a command. And I want you to see the very first word that Jesus uses. It's just important. So help you understand if you're on the trail, the right trail or not. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the next word? I want to hear you. I want to hear you see it say it. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. I want you to work with me for a moment and have your Bible there. I just want you to see a few things. This is going to be a little sample. If you're in Mark, I want you to turn with me again to John's gospel. In John chapter 3, Well, by John 3, I mean John 1. A little typo in my notes here. (laughs) John 1, verse 29. The next day, he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on, uh, on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remained, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have, been, and I have um, excuse me, seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
So he's coming, he's coming, Jesus says, I'm here. And if you study the preaching of John, the key word is repentance. Look, in, look with me in the book of Acts. Actually, you know what, instead of just flipping, just listen. How about that? Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes. And when, when the gospel is proclaimed, the people, the Bible says, are cut to the heart, and they ask Peter, what should we do? Does anybody know the first word Peter says? Repent. Revelation, the last word of Jesus to the churches recorded in the Scripture. Remember from where you started and repent. Here's the simple point I'm trying to make is, and this word repent is an important word in the Scripture. First word John the Baptist uses when he preaches, repent. First word Jesus uses when he preaches, we just read it in Mark, repent. At Pentecost, repent. Read the letters of uh, Paul. He's always talking about repentance. So that begs a question, what does it mean to repent? Every family has their stories that uh, when the family gets together, they laugh about. And I've probably shared this one uh, with you. When my mom's side of the family gets together, we often re- remember a story where my, my um, grandma, my mom's mom, we called her Granny, was going to travel from Atlanta to visit us in Rocky Mound. She was riding with my mom's sister, my aunt. So they left uh, Atlanta traveling to Rocky Mount, and we're having just the best time talking, laughing. They're always such fun and uh, joyful people to be around. And as I travel on the highway, my Aunt Kim looks up and says, sees a big sign, and it says, Welcome to Alabama. Now, depending on your understanding of American geography, you understand that they were headed for Rocky Mount, but they were going in the wrong direction. Now, you, you got a couple of options at that point, right? You can say, well, nobody can tell me what to do. I'll go the direction that I want to go. And honestly, friends, that's how a lot of people live their lives. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Or you can turn around and keep heading in the right direction. Repentance means to understand you need to turn around and actually do turn around and keep going in the direction that you turned around. Does that make sense? So repentance is not, I'm heading in the wrong direction, and I turn around and do this. That's not repentance. No, you're actually still heading in the wrong direction. Now, it's to turn around. Here's what repentance is. To turn from sin and self and turn to Jesus. That's what it means to repent. It has a starting point, and then it continues. As John, for example, says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So that's what the starting point of following Jesus is. I've found the king, maybe better said, the king has found me. (laughs) And so I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe the gospel. So if we took these three words, repent, believe, and follow me, according to the scripture, and we mixed them all up, and then you had to say, here's the order they go in, what's the order? Because here's reality. Here's the counterfeit. If you start with follow me and have never repented, you're not following him. To use the picture here in Mark, Jesus doesn't come along and James and John or or Simon and Andrew say, hey, there's Jesus. Why don't you get in the boat and mend nets with me? I think some people have it in their mind that Jesus has arrived just to sort of enhance the life you were already living. And that's not true. 
He's called you to leave behind the life you were living in order to follow him. Does that make sense? And it's so important. You'll get the gospel twisted in a heartbeat if you think that you can follow him without repenting. I have to repent, turn away from sin and self in order to follow him. Another way of understanding it is that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, wide is the way that leads to destruction and many are they who find it. Narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few are they who find it. Did you hear two words? Gate and way. You know you walk through the right gate if you're on the right way. Make sense? So, again, if I'm on the Appalachian Trail and look up and there's the beautiful Atlantic Ocean, I'm not on the Appalachian Trail. If you look around your life and your life is about sin and self and you're at the center, you're not following Jesus, friends. If your understanding of Jesus is he's just here to sort of endorse the life I was going to live anyway and maybe forgive me for my sins, but you're not living under his authority, then according to Scripture... You're not following him. And that's important because Jesus and the scripture warns us again and again, many will come in his name, but they're false Christ. So what do we learn from this passage on your outline is number one, we want to start with this, that Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority. I mean, can we just appreciate for a moment, it's pretty audacious to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you follow me. That's pretty audacious, isn't it? What do they leave behind? They left behind uh, their work and their family. In that culture, at that time, in that place, that was what your identity was. I'm, if you've read the Bible, right? It's usually I'm Simon, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. That's, that's your identity. I, I belong to, to this group of people. And, and then your identity is, and we still live this way very much, is what I do. If you meet a stranger, usually the first two things you say is, where do you come from and what do you do? That, that's your identity, right? What is Jesus saying? You leave those things behind, and now my identity is what? I'm a follower of Jesus. It's not a segment of my life. That is my life. You know, it's an interesting passage. We don't get a lot of details, do we? And probably if we were writing the story, we would give a little bit more of the human drama, right? Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting it into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. We're not given any details about conversations that they had, talking to their family. And this isn't the way it was done in those days. Rabbis didn't approach students. Students approached rabbis. Say, I want to follow you. This underscores the centrality of Jesus, right? He's the one in charge. He's the one who's in focus. And not in a sinful or selfish way, Jesus is the only one who can be at the center and it not be sinful and selfish because he's holy God. Remember what the fall is? We studied this last week. The fall is us trying to replace God as God. Eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil, meaning I get to call all the shots for myself. I'm going to replace him as as God. Well, Jesus is God come in the flesh. He's got the authority Are you living your life submitted, surrendered to the authority of Jesus? When he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, that should sound to your ears that means that your kingdom isn't going to stand. He's he's not going to have rival kingdoms. Now, we do learn from Jesus that the establishment of his kingdom is not done in the way that kingdoms are established in the world by threat of violence or violence itself. He, he's on his way to the cross to be crucified, right? 
and have triumph over sin, death, and the grave. Well, quickly, another thing we learn from the passage is Jesus aligns you with himself and then teams you with others. Notice he's not asking for suggestions about what the mission will be. You follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So, if you're not fishing, becoming a fisher of men, you're not a follower of Jesus, according to Jesus. So, so Jesus, man, this is not a follow-your-own-heart proposition. I think we need to appreciate that they're going to have to forsake some things in order to follow him. He's aligning them with himself. What has Jesus come to do? I came to seek and save the lost. That's what he said. So if you're going to follow him, but not seeking, be at work seeking, and in Christ seeing the law saved, you're not following him. Can you see from the passage that, that they're not inviting Jesus into their lives so much as Jesus is inviting them into his? Can you see the distinction? It's not, Jesus, would you come into my life? It's, Jesus is saying to them, would you leave your life and come and follow me? So if you can look at your life and see that you're, you're not being made, I want to, it's what he's saying, I will make you fishers of men, then we have to say, I'm I'm on the right trail, right? Jesus didn't come to just bless the life you were going to live anyway and just give a few Christian tweaks, right? Like, here's a few words I don't want you to say, and here's a few things I don't want you to watch, but you just go on about the way you... This This is a sharp... It's going from death to life. It's going from darkness to to light. And then also see in the passage that there's another helpful way to the Bible helps us is that Jesus calls them in multiples, not individuals. Now, I know that there's a time that he calls Matthew, for example, who's just at the tax collector booth, and he calls the one person, but, but that's unto the disciples. It's Simon and Andrew, brothers, but just so we're sure that just, I think one of the helpful ways, it's not just one family, right? It's, it's actually another group. It's James and John. And what we understand from the scriptures is that these two sets of brothers, they knew each other. They worked together. They were, they were friends. And in fact, at least in uh, Andrew's case uh, and John's, most likely they were disciples of John the Baptist before they became followers of Jesus. This isn't the first time they've ever been around Jesus. They've been around him before. So when he comes along and says, follow me, they've got some background with him. And, and then it is important for us to see that Jesus calls them together. So practical help, I hope. One of the best ways you know you're following God and not listening to your own voice and calling it God's voice is you team up with other people who have also been called by God. I want to say that again. One of the best ways you know you're following God and not listening to your own voice and calling it God's voice is you team up with other people who have also been called by God. Friends, we need 
other people in our lives. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, breaks out against all sound judgment. That's Proverbs 18.1. That's how you'll get yourself isolated and alone and detached from fellowship with God in a heartbeat is to think nobody can help me and tell me what to do. We studied last week, you know, you're told all the time, follow your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible says your heart is deceptive above all other things and desperately wicked. So if you follow your own heart without humbly getting the counsel of God's word, humbly getting the counsel of other believers, you're putting yourself in a really dangerous situation. When Jesus will send them out, how will we send them out? One by one? No, you know it. Two by two. Notice what he says. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I just want to highlight it's in the plural. We would say it, follow me and I will make y'all become fishers of men. A great way to ensure that you don't place yourself at the center of your life following Jesus is you, you do unite yourself with others. Jesus doesn't say, follow me and I'll heal all your hurts. He doesn't say, follow me, and I will give you the good life. He says, follow me, and I will make you into something. The heart of Christ is set on seeking and saving the lost. It's yours. Is that what your heart is set on? So, so again, it's not up for us to tell Jesus what to do. That's one of the things we repented of when we repented. It's one of the things it means to repent, is to say, I'm not in charge anymore. I'm entrusting myself to the one who does have authority. Here's an encouragement for my soul. Number three on your outline, Jesus entrusts his mission of grace to people who need grace. We know a thing or two about Simon and Andrew, don't we? We know some things about John and James. Uh, Jesus has just called men who will spend the next three years arguing among themselves of which of them is the greatest, right? They've got a long way to go, and so do we. Now, not only does Mark record the way Jesus is going to fulfill his mission, but how? Jesus entrusts his mission to people like you. Now, if you were the Messiah, and you're not, neither am I, would you have started with these four guys? Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. You know anything about the world at the time? That's, that, is, that is a rough place. I mean, You'd think maybe you'd start in Rome or Alexandria or Athens, even Jerusalem, but Galilee. And, and then, if you're going to start with world changers, do you start with fishermen? Wouldn't you have started with the, maybe the priests or the centurions? Ordinary. Ordinary people. Now, Simon, Peter, we know about him. 
James and John, man, we're, we're not far away from them walking into a village and saying, we're going to burn this place to the ground. Do you remember that? When the Samaritans reject Jesus, they say, well, we want to make fire fall from heaven, consume this place. God employs people in need of grace to do the work of grace. That's amazing, isn't it? And that leaves Christ at the center, doesn't it? They're not going to change the world because they're so gifted. Power's not coming at Pentecost because Peter is so eloquent. Grace employs those who need the work of grace. They're not called because of who they are. They are called because of who Christ is. I do want you, that's maybe the main thing I want us to see from the passage. They're not called because of who they are. They're called because of who Christ is. These, these men are messy, confused, needy, proud. All of that lives in their hearts, even as they're chosen to be his disciples. But remember, here's what repentance is. I'm heading in the wrong direction, and I turn around, and I start to head in the right direction. And when that moment comes where you repent, you don't become sinless. You don't become perfect. you still got idols. you still got issues, but you start to follow Christ, and I will make you become fishers of men. In other words, it doesn't happen right then. And that's the story of Scripture. That's the story of Abraham. That's the story of Moses. That's the story of Ruth, person after person in the Bible. The Bible's not a story of noble people who made the right choice, but sinful people who are rescued by grace and made usable by grace. Well, if you're thinking, how could God possibly ever use me? You're a great candidate to be used. God, Paul puts it this way, puts his treasure in jars of clay. So the power doesn't come from us, it comes from him. These are not the four most noble men Jesus could find. The, one of the wonders of grace is what grace chooses to do and who grace chooses to use. So for a few minutes, what, what do we learn about being a disciple of Jesus from this passage? Number one, to follow Jesus, we, we do surrender to his authority. I know I've said that already, but it's clear from the passage. So submit to his authority. Are you submitted to his authority? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, Paul, Tripp, Paul, Paul Tripp put it this way. One, one transaction that takes place in the heart of a follower of Jesus is you let go of your authority over your life. You forsake your godlike intentions for your life and submit to his authority. There is no such thing as part-time discipleship. You are either living under his authority or you're setting yourself up as your own authority. And that submission is not first a set of words or actions, but a surrender of my heart. It was a lack of surrender that angered God, religious performance without the heart. The thoughts and motives and deepest desires and deepest cravings and motivations are given to him, and we forsake the rulership we have wanted over our own lives. Uh, I think I've said in the, in the past, sin, the fall has resulted in two things in our hearts, and they're such a dangerous combination. You know what they are? Ignorance and arrogance. Simultaneously. We don't have it in us to rule over our own lives, but we're so certain we can, right? Ignorance and arrogance. What do we repent of? Ignorance and arrogance. 
How do you do that? The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm no longer ignorant. I'm no longer ignorant of who the rightful king is. I repent of that. God, I have tried to run my life. I have tried to be in charge. In fact, I kind of measure and value people to the extent that they recognize my authority. That's how a lot of people live. And if you don't recognize my authority, then I'm done with you. So I repent of my ignorance and I repent of my arrogance, humility, turn around. I think I've used this example before. I've never been on the Appalachian Trail, but I have done some hiking in the mountains. A couple of years back, Abel and I were hiking, and uh, we, we were kind of flat out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, cell phone reception, uh-uh. And we, and we walked a, a, about a mile and a half, two miles into the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, and thankfully they had markers all along. And it led us up to this place called the Overlook. And man, it was beautiful. We stood there for a little while and just basked in the creation and talked for a little bit. And then, and then we turned around. It was time to walk back down the trail. And I got confused. And I thought I knew where I was going. Abel, from the get-go, was skeptical. But I'm the dad, so I just said, oh, buddy, I know the way. And so we started walking. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you where you realize, oh, I think I'm not headed in the, but I don't want to say it out loud. I kind of look at the, 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 the sun. I was like, we got, well, we, we're not in danger yet. We've got a good bit of daylight so far. I mean, we're just doing a day hike. We don't, we're not set up for anything. We drank all our water. I mean, any. so I go back to, the, to this overlook point. I said, okay, I think I got it figured out. And I try again. And then finally, Abel, he's so gracious, he said, Daddy, I think I know the way. And it's not, implied, it's not this way. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, I'll follow you. And he started walking, and we went a little bit further, a little bit, and I said, he knew the way out. What did I have to do? I had to repent of my ignorance and my arrogance. I, I had to come to a point where I said, I don't know the direction I'm going. Anybody there this morning? You look around in your life and say, I don't, I don't even know where I am. And then, repent of my arrogance. I'm not going to let him tell me. I have to tell him. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he doesn't come in a way that they would respect his power. I mean, the Bible says that he, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2. Therefore, God's highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. But when he showed up, he doesn't look impressive. But he knows the way out and he knows the way to life. To follow Jesus, we surrender to his authority. And, and then, just as a caveat, to follow Jesus, we surrender to his authority over all of life. Christ is the center of, of my whole life. That, that means it's not just kind of this little segment. Uh, another illustration briefly is, man, when I was in the ninth grade, 
Back in those days, I don't know if it's still this way now, but it, it likely is because, you know, people haven't changed. The stressful part of ninth grade living was the lunchroom over at Edwards Junior High School. is what we called it at the time. Uh, thankfully, after, uh, after getting, take, taking a little while, um, I got a table where it was me and another friend. And every day we sat there back then, pizza and waffle fries every day. I think they have adjusted that and a sugary drink, you know, and I always wondered why can't I pay attention and the period after class. Well, my body is <laughs> adjusting to more pizza and, and waffle fries. But, but anyway, one day, and it's kind of unspoken rules in the lunchroom, you have your table and you sit with the same people every day. That's kind of the deal. And my friend and I sat down and then this other guy showed up and just sat down. Never met him before in my life. I mean, that is breaking all the rules. What is he doing here? Why is he here? And my friend and I kind of looked at each other and said, I don't know what's going on. We just thought it was a one-time thing. We get there the next day. He's there. He's back. He's there before we are. What are we going to do? This isn't how it works. And then I began to realize something. This, guy, this kid was uh, this young man. <laughs> I mean, I was saying the age kid. He, he's new to town. And just about every day at Edwards Junior High, I wore a Christian t-shirt. Anybody remember the Lord's Gym t-shirt? Remember the Lord's Gym t-shirt? Man, I wore that shirt out. His pain, your gain, says it on the back. One of the shirts I wore had across the back, love your neighbor as yourself. And I realized, I think, he had read that, those shirts that I was wearing and had the audacity to think I would actually do what it said. Do you do what he says? Not, not say that you will, but you really do. In the real human world that we live in. Are you the light of the world, the salt of the earth? The look on your face, would it match the look on his face? The way you spend your time, would it match the way he spends his time? The tone of your voice? Would it match the tone of his voice? The help of his hand? Would it match the help of his hand? In other words, do you live in his kingdom? You've repented and believed the gospel. And the third and last is to follow Jesus. We have allegiance to his mission. Allegiance to his mission. This course of play on words, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men because they're fishermen. Follow me and I'm going to help, I'm going to lead you and make you somebody who loves other people, sacrifices, puts them first, draws them to, to, to myself. They're mending their nets. You know, you want to talk about nets that bring people into the kingdom. We'll talk about that. And that's, that's what Jesus t- spends the next three years teaching them to be fishers of men. Well, maybe one last illustration to help us get our thoughts around this. You've been to a vending machine lately? Maybe there's one at your work and you go in there and you, it's about up to $2 or 50 cents at this point, right? Used to be able to get some change. Now you've got to go to the bank before you can go to the vending machine. But All right, let's just, for example, let's suppose we go to a vending machine and there's three options. Kit Kats, Snickers, or Twix. That's kind of the Edwards Junior High diet, but we're, you just hang with me. Who's going for Kit Kat? All right, who's going for Twix? 
Who's going for Snickers? Okay. Hungry? Why wait? You know the deal, right? Enter your quarters or, again, a $10 bill at the rate we're going, and then you punch in your number, and it sends out what you ordered. Or, in some cases, as we all know, it gets stuck, and you... Who's in charge at the vending machine? Who's making the choices? You are, right? Have a little bit of that. I just want that. I don't want that. And, and y'all, we can treat God that way. You mean a little mercy, a little forgiveness, but I'll, I'll not have the claims on my actual life, please, right? If we approach God as a vending machine, We'll approach him as, hey, just give me everything I, I want. But here's where the Bible meets us. What you want isn't really what you need. If my selfish heart is sinful, the desires of my heart themselves are deceitful. And so if I set up that I just want God to do for me what I think, we've reversed the scripture and we're saying my ways are higher than his ways. But God's agenda is to display his own glory, not yours or mine. But look at how he's done it. He's calling us out of the hollow, futile pursuit of living for self to follow him. In Christianity, as a follower of Jesus, again, it's a kingdom, not a representative democracy, And only one person can sit on the throne. And I do want to say clearly, Jesus sits on the throne. His kingdom is at hand. And it is so very wise to trade in the kingdom of self in order to, in repentance and belief, get on the path of following Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand and we'll pray together, have a time of response. Jesus makes all things new, and what Jesus makes new is better than the old. So, you bow your heads with me. I just close by saying, man, what Jesus is inviting Andrew and Simon and James and John to is so much better than the life they would have ever had apart from him. Do you believe that? Is God making you into one who loves and serves other people, that you're no longer living for self, but you live for Christ and his glory. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that when we could have been lost, you sought us out. You found us. You set our feet on solid ground and leading us in the way of life everlasting. I pray these moments that we think about what we've studied from your word, you'd make it clear. And God, if there be any among us who I just simply ask your Holy Spirit would use your word that we've studied to make it clear what following Jesus really is. And ask this in his name. Amen.